Well, we just got through Thanksgiving. Hopefully you all ate a whole bunch of turkey and had a good time. And my prayer is that the tryptophan has worn off so that you stay awake this morning. All right? So we'll see if we can do that. Today I'm going to talk about the miracle power of giving thanks. And this is something that Pastor Mike has talked about in the past at Thanksgiving time. And I thought it fitting to stick with that theme because it's time you reflect on things like that and to give thanks. And it's a powerful thing. The miracle power of giving thanks. You might think, miracle power of giving thanks? That can create miracles? We'll dig into that today and see what that means. Um, did you know that Jesus was recorded only four times in the NIV in the book of Matthew? Matthew, the whole story of his life, four times giving thanks. Doesn't that seem odd? It did to me, because I know he gave thanks a lot more than that. But when I see that, when God chose to be so specific and so limited in something like that, that means he's trying to tell us something. So I thought, we really need to look at what kind of circumstances did Jesus give thanks in? How did he do it? So we're going to look at a little bit of that today and pay attention to when, when and how should we give thanks. There was, Pastor Mike talked about an evangelist one time um, who was giving, a, giving a speaking, and Mike was there. And afterwards, a guy came up to the evangelist and introduced himself. And the evangelist said, well, how are you doing? And the guy said, well... Under the circumstances, and the evangelist cut him off right there and said, What are you doing under there? (laughs) Kind of makes sense, right? What are you doing under your circumstances? You don't belong there. You're a victor, a conqueror in Christ. So here's what I want us to understand. Giving thanks and having a grateful heart and an attitude of gratitude is a spiritual discipline, not an outflow of our circumstances. Got that? It's a spiritual discipline, not an outflow of our circumstances. So we'll dig into that a little bit more today, too. So let's pray one more time before we dig into the Word and see what God has for us here today. God, we come to you in this time with grateful hearts. Again, just thankful, Lord. And I thank you for your Word that you give us, God, that we're not just left hanging down here, that we can dig into your Word. You give us truths and secrets to life, Lord God, and these spiritual principles and spiritual disciplines that we can dig into that can change our lives, God. And so today I just pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to see your word in a whole new way today. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, in the spirit of thankfulness, I don't get a chance to do this very often. And I just want to thank all of you that do so much, uh, not just for Good Hope, for the kingdom of God, because it's a whole lot bigger than just Good Hope Church. But even here, man, we have, it, it takes a lot of people to make this happen. We've got ushers standing back there and that were helping you out given of their time. We have sound people, computer people. There were people here early this morning making coffee so you could have coffee. That's a good thing. I'm happy about that. There are people that prepared all week for your kids so that they could be teaching and taking care of your kids right now, teaching the things of God. Man, I'm thankful for that. There are people that clean the church every week, all the time, and make sure it's neat and orderly and in, uh, for us when we come here. It takes so many people. I think, Trinette, something like 70 people a weekend is what it takes to make all three services happen. That's a lot of people giving of their time. So thank you, everybody, for all that you do. So what is this miracle power that we're talking about? Well, it has a lot to do with focus, first of all. 
Focus is really, really important. Did you ever notice some people just focus on the wrong things? Things that seem so unimportant. Uh, you know, you look from the outside and go, what are you thinking? Especially if you've uh, ever flipped on shows like uh, Jerry Springer or Divorce Court or something like that. Man, you sit there and you're getting a divorce over that? And you're just that upset about that one thing. It just seems crazy, doesn't it, that people focus on the wrong things? It's ridiculous. Kids are really good at this, of course. The kid that you see in the store laying in the middle of the aisle, kicking and screaming, I want that toy. That's all they're focused on. They don't really care that they're making a fool of themselves. They don't care that the parents that they love, they're making complete fools of them and making them really embarrassed. They're focused on that toy, right? Well, of course, they're kids. They don't know any better yet. Hopefully, as we get older, we grow out of that, right? At least to some degree. And I think we all have that. We tend to do that sometimes, focus on the wrong things. I've been married to Lisa now for over 28 years. Got a wonderful wife I'm blessed with. And yeah. All right. And I got to say, there's, I mean, really, there's not a lot we disagree on anymore. We get along good. Praise God for a blessed uh, relationship. But there were, obviously, over the last 20 years, things that we did disagree on. And I look back, especially in the early years, and I was a young, smart aleck kid. Maybe I still am, but... <laughs> Man, there's times when I was so intent on proving my point, and I look back and go, over that? I was willing to argue and hurt the one that I love and jeopardize my relationship over that? Are you kidding me? It's so dumb. But you get focused on the wrong things, and that can be dangerous, right? So focus is really important. I read a, a story long time ago about a football coach that wanted to teach his team the value and the importance of focus when playing football and focusing on the right things and how the wrong focus can really hurt you. So they came into the locker room one day, and on the floor he had a 2 by 12 plank, 12 inches wide, big plank laying on the floor. And they all looked and thought, what is that? So the coach gathered them all together and said, all right, guys, I want you to all gather on that end of the plank. And I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you think that you can walk all the way from one end of that plank to the other without touching the floor? Well, everybody raised their hand. The thing is 12 inches wide. Went, of course. He said, okay, do it. So one by one, they all walked across it. Some were even just dancing and being goofy because it's a 12-inch wide plank. It's not a hard thing to walk across, really. And they all did it. Then he said, here, let me ask you a question. What if I took that plank and I put it 40 feet in the air? like maybe between a couple buildings or something like that. Same circumstances, no wind, it's calm as can be, and it's nice and solid and rigid. How many of you think you could walk across that? Not too many of them raised their hands. Why? It's the same plank. It's 12 inches wide. It's easy to walk across, right? Same situation. Physically, it should be the same thing, right? Mentally, uh uh-uh. Because you're not focusing on them 12 inches. You're focusing on that 40 feet, aren't you? And how how much it would hurt to land at the bottom. Focus can change the way you do things, the way you approach things, and the way you go through things. If you focus on the right thing, why not? If you focus on the negative or the bad things, oh boy, things get crazy. So having a grateful attitude and a thankful heart is a lot about focus. What are you focused on? What you don't have or what you do have? 
That's the big difference right there. So we'll get into that a little bit. So why do we sometimes tend to focus on the negative things and not look at the positive things? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but there's a couple that really stand out to me, and especially in Christian lives, it seems. One is past disappointments. You know, we've been disappointed in the past, and so it's really hard to have faith that there's going to be a positive outcome this time, right? You just, and especially for Vikings fans, you know, I'm one of them. I'm hopeful. I mean, we're doing really good right now, but I've been disappointed in the past, so I don't want to say, yeah, we're going all the way. Done that a few times already and been disappointed. But it's that way in life. We have lack of faith that there's going to be a positive outcome. But if you really think about it, for Christians, that's a lack of faith in what? In God, isn't it? Do we really believe that he's a powerful, faithful God, that he loves us, he wants nothing but the best for us? Are we too gun-shy to even hope for that or have faith that there's going to be a positive outcome? Focus. One of the other reasons that we don't, <clears throat> that we focus on the negative, and it's kind of related, is, is fear. Sometimes there's just fear of the outcome, and we're just afraid to hope for anything positive because we have fear of what the outcome might be. I don't know how they come up with these figures, but did you know that they say 80 to 90% of the things that we worry about never happen? What a waste of energy, isn't it? Because worry and fear hurts you. It harms you. It's it's bad for your heart. It's bad for your blood pressure. It's bad for everything. And and yet we worry about things that are not going to happen. What a waste. So instead of focusing on them, why not focus on the positive? Focus on the things that we have and that we can be thankful for and grateful for. All right. So here's another thing. When we experience negative things, is God any less powerful? He's still God. Is he less faithful? No. Is he any less God? He's still God. So focusing on the negative things doesn't make him less God. It just changes our outlook on the situation and it changes our our faith. All right, so how do we do something about it if we have that habit of focusing on negative things? You know, we develop thought patterns in the same way that we develop other habits in our lives. And we always tend to go to the familiar, don't we? What's familiar, what's comfortable, you'll go back to that. Even if it's wrong, you'll go back to it because you're familiar with it and you're comfortable with it. So it definitely takes some work to change uh, our thought patterns. That's why it's called a spiritual discipline. It's something you got to do and you got to work at. It's a discipline. I look at it like driving. If you're going to change or go somewhere else, you're driving somewhere you've never been before, how do you do that? Man, you're up on the wheel, right? You're looking for the signs. Where's our exit? Oh, is it this? No, it's the next one. What street? This is sixth. We've got to look for seventh. You're really paying attention, right? It's like, I think of when we started taking Lana, our oldest daughter, down to NCU in Minneapolis, North Central University, where she went to Bible college. I'd been down there when I was younger, but it had been a while. The first time we took her down there and went down there, man, I had the GPS out. You know, I'm going, oh, where are we? Okay, this exit. We have, you got to really pay attention and make sure you're taking the right, uh, the right turns because it's something new. After four, five, six, ten trips down there, I just drive. I couldn't even tell you the street names or exit names, but I just go there. Oh, here we go. We turn here and go there, right? Most of you driving home today are probably not going to be looking at street signs, right? 
You just go there because you know it and you're comfortable with it and it's a habit and you do it. It's the same way with our thought patterns. Again, that's why it's spiritual discipline. If you're going to change, you better look at what you're doing and pay attention to it and consciously make an effort to change your direction. So today, hopefully we can do that. You ready? Let's take a look at some scripture. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to read 16 through 18 and see what God's word says. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you ever wonder what God's will is for your life? There it is. Over and over in the scripture, it tells us what God's will is for our life. And a lot of times we tend to go, yeah, but I want to know the specifics. Who should I marry? Where should I work? What should... You know what? Start with the basics. Start with the spiritual disciplines, and then he'll take, it. He'll take care of the rest from there. He'll guide you. This is pretty important. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always. Is that easy? Oh, no. When you get to work and your boss is in a bad mood and you've got a stack of papers on your desk and 10 million things to do and you know it's going to be a long, miserable day, be joyful. That's not easy. So again, it's something we have to work at. Pray continually. That doesn't mean continuously muttering to yourself and people looking at you funny and stuff like that. or whatever. You know, just be in an attitude of prayer. That again becomes a habit. When something negative comes, what's your first instinct? Lord, help me with this. When that becomes your instinct, when you're working at it, when you're, you're constantly working on being in an attitude of prayer all the time. And then the big one we're talking about now, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Verse 18, there's a really important word there, in. Notice it doesn't say for. And we get that mixed up sometimes. Should we give thanks, thanks for all circumstances? Thank you, Lord, that my dog died. So wonderful. Thank you. No. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that so-and-so was mean to me. We're not thankful for that. That doesn't even make sense, does it? But it says, give thanks in all circumstances. Not for, in all circumstances. Uh, One of the times that Jesus is recorded giving thanks is a really good example of this. Uh, It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that when he was praying just before he was crucified? And Jesus gave thanks. Now, did he give? He knew what was coming, didn't he? He definitely knew because he told his disciples over and over again what was coming and what was going to happen. He knew it was going to be horrible, excruciating, uh, and and for him, even the physical pain, of course, was incredible. But on top of all that, for this blameless, sinless, pure God, he was going to have to take all the sins of humanity on himself. Horrible. Did he thank God that it was going to be so horrible and that, that he got to do this? No. In fact, he even said, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will, God. And God said, no, this is your cup. This is the only way. This is what we have to do. And he still thanked God for being with him and comforting him and helping him through it. Boy, that's our ultimate example. So there's an example. When did Jesus give thanks? In great circumstances? No, in horrible circumstances. He chose to give thanks anyway. All right, so let's read verses 19 and 21. Keep on going here in 1 Thessalonians. Now, this is talking about, uh, he's talking to them about things that happen in church. Like when I'm 
preaching, for example, or somebody's praying or people are talking amongst each other. Here's what you do in these situations. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. The reason I want us to look at that is because there's a spiritual principle here that really applies to giving thanks as well. And it's repeated over and over and over in the Bible. First of all, test everything. So what does that imply if you have to test everything? That there's going to be some things that aren't quite right, right? This may really come as a shock to some of you, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> Newsflash. I'm just a human being like you guys are. I'm just a guy that happens to uh, spend his time really seeking God, seeking the scriptures as to how we can make it something palatable that we can understand and do all that. But I'm not perfect. I'm a human being just like you guys. So please, if there's something you see that doesn't line up with scripture, tell me. I want to know so that I can be accurate. Test everything. That means everything's not going to be good. But here's the key. Then what does he say to do with it? Does he say, pick it apart? Test everything. Make sure you point all the wrong and correct those that are wrong. Pick it apart. Uh Uh-uh. He says, test everything. Hold on to the good. Let the rest go. It's repeated over and over in the scriptures. God says, in this world, there will be trouble. Over and over we're told that. And yet we're still surprised when there's trouble and when life is tough. Over and over he says that. But what does he say to do with it? Hold on to the good. Let the bad go. We're in a fallen world. There's going to be things that come against you that aren't so good. Let it go, hold on to the good. There it is. Don't focus on the negative. Be grateful, be thankful for what you have. There's that spiritual principle over and over and over again in the scriptures. It's important to get that ingrained in our head. All right. So read your Bibles, study it up, test everything, hold on to the good. Don't pick apart and focus on the bad. Let it go. The spiritual discipline and pattern we should develop here is focused to the good. And what's the result of that? Verses 22 and 23 kind of give us a little hint into that, and we're going to look deeper into the result later. But it says, Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you put it all in perspective, he's talking about here's the principles, here's what you do, here's how you follow it, and here's the result. The God of peace will be sanctifying you and in you and change your attitude and your spirit and your life. It's pretty deep. It's pretty cool. All right. Doing all right so far? With me? Praise God. No one's sleeping that I can see. Didn't hear any snoring. So, all right, we're doing good. I want to talk to you for a minute about something not in the Scriptures, something that I talked about if you were here when when I preached on... Uh, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, And this is something we need to be aware of because it's a trap the devil uses. And it's uh, the theory of determinism. Determinism is a theory taught in psychology classes all over and something that I think we all buy into to a certain degree, but hopefully not much. The theory of determinism says this. And as I go through this, Pay attention to how prevalent this is in today's society. It's just crazy rampant, and this is the the thought pattern everyone is going to. Determinism says that you really don't make any choices at all. What we call choices are just reactions to what happens to us. Okay? So you're determined by your circumstances or the things that happen to you. So there can be, you can buy into genetic determinism. 
I'm Irish. That's why I have a bad temper. It's just who I am. I'm Irish. Or circumstantial determinism. My job's terrible. It's miserable. That's why I'm unhappy. Because of that. Or my boss, he's a jerk. That's why I'm not happy. My spouse treats me poorly. So I'm, or I don't have enough money. Economic determinism. You're determined by your money. Boy, if only I had more money, man, I'd be happier. So think about this. What happens if we really start to allow those thought patterns in our brain? And they grow and they grow and they grow. You become more and more a victim, right? Oh, we can't blame this criminal for what he did because look at his upbringing. He was brought up in a dysfunctional home. He's not responsible. Well, then who is? Of course he is. He still made those choices, right? And if we buy into that, more and more and more we become the victim because we don't really make any choices. We're just a victim of what's happening to us. And boy, I hope things get better. I hope I win the lottery or something good happens someday. Oh, my. Boy, things are bad. Look what happens. What happens to your self-esteem as you become more and more a victim? Pretty soon there's no hope. You don't try. You're just a victim. That is exactly where the devil wants you, isn't it? Because you're no threat to him. You're not living in the power of God. You're not more than a conqueror. You're just, you feel worthless and you are worthless. Don't buy into determinism. We have a choice, right? We have a choice. So as I look at even when we read, be joyful, uh, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. If, if we didn't have a choice, that wouldn't be in the Bible, would it? So we definitely have a choice. So we make, make, can make a choice to be grateful and have this kind of attitude. So it's just a choice. So have we all decided to do that? We're good? Okay, let's go home. Man, if it were that simple. Is it really just a choice? The best analogy I can think of that is... It is a choice, a lot like getting into better shape is a choice, right? Man, if I could just make the choice to be in better shape and suddenly I had a six-pack and I could run marathons, that'd be great, wouldn't it? We'd all be in better shape probably. But it's not that simple. Yes, you have to make the choice, but then you have to go through the process. You have to make the choice to work at it and continue and go through the process. Spiritual disciplines are no different. Having a grateful attitude is no different. You can't just decide, yeah, I'm going to do that. That sounds like a great idea. You have to decide to go through the process and shift and change your thought patterns. Be aware. Say, hey, Holy Spirit, bring it to my mind when I'm not having a grateful attitude. Uh, When my thought patterns are wrong, help me. He'll alert you. He'll let you know. That's what God loves to do is when you desire more of him, he loves to pour out more of himself on you. And it's the things like that where it starts, just those little things. Like, God, I want to follow your word and your precepts and your principles. And then he gives you a little more and he gives you a little more and starts to pour it out on you. That's pretty cool. All right. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 tells us a little bit more of the result. Here again, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident evident to all. The Lord is near. So here's more choices that we have to make, that we have to be aware of. Here's the one I really like. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Present your request to God. And what's the result? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Boy, life would be so much easier if we just were aware of these things and just followed these little precepts. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, what a great place to be, isn't it? But here's what I like. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So does he say, give thanks once the prayer is answered? Mm-mm. Bring the request to God with thanksgiving. And what does that show? Confidence and faith in God. And sometimes we get confused, too. We get it wrong. We, we, um, we get the idea in our mind that we have to have enough faith for God to answer the prayer. Yes and no. But it's not that we have to magically conjure up enough faith and then it's going to happen. No. We can't move the hand of God that way. Faith in God is this. If you want a faith that really touches God heart, God's heart, I think this is kind of what it looks like. God, I'm praying about this. I'm praying for this. I love you. I trust you. I know that you are God. I know that you're fully capable of taking care of this situation for you. But I know you are God and you know all. You know what's best for me. You're going to do what's best for me. So even if I don't see the answer to this prayer, I love you, I trust you, I have faith in you that you are God. That's a faith that touches God's heart. Complete trust and love in God. And then you get more, and then you get more. When we can start grabbing a hold of those precepts, then God blesses us with more. All right, I want to take a quick time out because we do need to recognize something. We need to recognize why we're in a negative situation sometimes. Because sometimes it's us. Sometimes we made poor choices and that's what's got us there, right? And sometimes we need to just change things and make some better choices and, and get out of that situation or whatever it may be. So we always need to be aware of, are we in this situation because of something I did? God, help me see that and help me change what I need to to get out of this situation. Because if you continue in your sin or continue in whatever the bad choice is or whatever, you can't expect to just be pulled out of that situation, right? So we've got to realize, is it my, my, something I need to change? Sometimes we're in situations because of other people's choices. There's not a lot we can do about that most of the time, but we can still be grateful in that situation and thank God for who he is and that he wants to help us out, right? And then sometimes it's just, we're in a fallen world. And so in this world, there will be trouble. One of the promises of the Bible we don't really want to hold on to, right? Uh, but he tells us over and over that there's going to be trouble, there's going to be negative things and situations. So, what happens when we don't work on getting a grateful attitude? When we don't listen to God and follow his precepts? Let's take a look at a negative example. In Romans 1, verses 18 through 24. Excuse me here. Let's take a look at this. And notice in verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. As we read these, look for ways that God's wrath is being poured out and why. On who and why. That's pretty important. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, 
because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So what is he talking about here? What he's saying is, his wrath is poured on those who suppress the truth because they know who God is. They know God is real. He's been making it evident to them from the beginning. Look at the billions of stars in the sky and tell me there's not a God. The vastness of the universe, the oceans. He's making it evident all around and in their hearts. He said, I've been telling them I'm real and that I'm here, but they suppress the truth. Uh, having been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So because they refused to acknowledge God or give him thanks, their thinking became futile. Got more and more and more dark, it says. If that's where darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So here's what we see. Because they refused to thank God and acknowledge God... Did he really punish them? Yes and no. He just let them go the way they chose to go, didn't he? They got darker and darker in that thought because they chose not to acknowledge God and not to be grateful. Our God created us with free will, with the ability to make decisions and choices because he didn't want a bunch of robots down here that all we could do were programmed to worship God and praise God. What reward is there in that? He wanted us to have a choice and to choose to love him and to worship him. So he gives us the free will to make choices, but he also then lets us live out the consequences of our choices, whether that be good or bad. So these people made the choice, and he just said, all right, man. Kind of like the prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal son decided, I want all my inheritance now, and I'm going to leave? His father knew good and well that that was not going to be a good thing. He was going to go squander it all and live a lifestyle that was not good. But did he stop him? He knew that, man, he's old enough to make his own choices, and I've got to let him go. So he said, here you go, and he let him go. God lets us go our own way and lets us suffer the consequences of our own decisions. Now, when the prodigal son came back, what did the father do? He came running to meet him and wrapped his arms around him and gave him a feast that's how God is with us, too. When we go, oh, that was bad. I need to change my way of thinking. God opens his arms to us and takes us back in. Man, what a loving God. It's awesome. Okay. So here's what I see from that. Whatever we choose to glorify in our minds and think about gets magnified, and we keep thinking about it, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it takes over our way of thinking, doesn't it? Whether that's the negative things, we're looking at our problem and our situation, the bad thing, it gets bigger and bigger until that's the only way we think, and pretty soon we're just going, oh, poor me. But if we choose to be grateful for what we have instead of what we have not and focus on the great God we serve and how loving and powerful he is, that grows and grows and grows and gets bigger and takes over the way we think and the way we do things and the way we act. That's following God's spiritual disciplines.
and moving into the abundant life that he wants for us, right? So the biblical principle, again, here, another one that's, just to put it in a different way, and we're going to look at a scripture that backs this up. If we refuse to obey God, what we have will be taken away. But if we obey him by developing a thankful attitude, we'll be blessed with even more. Sounds kind of harsh in a way. But again, it's just God letting us live out the consequences of what we have. Let's look at Matthew 13, verse 12. It says, Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And boy, if you just look at that verse, that's kind of hard to understand. It's kind of like, well, wait, does that sound fair? Someone who doesn't have anything, we're going to take everything away that he does have. But if you have a lot, well, we'll give you more. Sounds like a weird economy. But what this is talking about, in this chapter, this is where the disciples asked Jesus, why are you talking in parables? I mean, why are you talking in ways people can't even understand? I, I can imagine they were thinking, man, you came to this earth to reveal yourself, to reveal your kingdom to the world, and you're telling riddles. Why? It doesn't make sense. This was his answer. Because he who has will be given more and have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. What he's saying is, I'm giving my word, my spirit, the secrets of my kingdom away. These people don't even want anything to do with it, so why should I give them more? You do, so I'm going to sit down with you and explain these parables and these principles, and so you get it, and I'm going to give you more. That's the biblical principle. If you're seeking God, he'll give you more. If you want nothing to do with them, he'll let you go, and man, you're going to get less and less, right? Your brains, minds get darker and darker and darker. So you might be saying, well, Larry, if you knew my situation, I've got nothing to be thankful for. I beg to differ. I really do. For one thing, God came to this earth and died for you so you could be free and live a free life, free in his spirit. In a material world, how many of you had something to eat in the last 24 hours? It's pretty much a given, isn't it? You've got a lot to be thankful for. How many of you woke up in a bed this morning, warm and cozy in the blankets? Man, you've got a lot to be thankful for. There are a lot of people around this world that have had nothing to eat for days and don't know where their next morsel of food is going to come from. There are a lot of people that were sleeping out on the streets and outside and freezing cold last night. I don't care what your situation or your circumstance is. You have lots to be thankful for. We are incredibly blessed. You're living in America. Compared to some places around the world right now, wow, we have it made. This is wonderful. We're living in abundance. You definitely have something to be thankful for. One of the instances when Jesus was recorded giving thanks was at the feeding of the 5,000. And that really interested me because you look at that situation. I'm sure you know the story. Jesus was speaking to five, it says 5,000 men plus women and children. So I don't know, seven to 10,000 people or something like that. A lot of people. All day long, he'd been preaching and talking to them. And the disciples said, Jesus, it's getting late. Don't you think we should send these guys home so they can eat? I'm sure they're all hungry. And as I read that, I think what the disciples really were thinking is, man, I'm hungry. I'm tired. Don't you want to send these guys home so I can go eat? It's probably what they're thinking. But what did Jesus do? He said, hey, how much food do we have? You're like, what? 
do you not see how many people are here? What do you mean how much food do we have? Yeah, find out how much food we have. So they did, and what they came up with was what? One basket of food? Five loaves and two fishes or whatever it was? Something like that? What, what, did, what did Jesus then do with that one basket of food? He prayed and thanked God for it. So this at a time of abundance... Absolutely not. If you want to look at it in that light, this was a time of poverty. You've got 10,000 people to feed and you have a basket of food. And Jesus thanks God for it. As an example to us, thank God for what you have. Be grateful for what you have, not what you don't have. And what did God do with that? Oh my goodness, they passed it all out and fed everybody and there was leftovers afterwards. Is God not powerful? Oh my goodness, that's incredible. So you're doing your bills, and you got a bill for 800 bucks that's due tomorrow. And you have 10 bucks to your name. What do you do? Thank God for that 10 bucks. I had food to eat today, and I got 10 bucks, and Lord, I trust you. Help me, Lord. Be thankful for what you have, not for what you don't have. Because if you're focusing on what you don't have, there's that focus thing again, and it grows and grows and gets bigger and bigger. If you focus on what you have and you're grateful for that, God blesses you with more. And this isn't just material things, of course. Spiritual, uh, physical, in every area of life, these principles hold true. Be grateful for what you have. Focus on the positive. And it's not just focus on the positive, ignore the circumstances. No, that's not it. This is, this is spiritual principles here that God tells us. So that's the miracle power of giving thanks. It shifts your focus and builds your faith. And it puts your focus where it needs to be. This is what God wants you to do. And he says he will honor and bless obedience. Jesus says over and over, obedience is better than sacrifice. Better than sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? Because obedience shows trust and love to God. And oh man, that warms his heart and he pours out on us more. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So let's obey him. Let's follow these precepts and these principles that he puts before us and reap the benefits. Cool. All right, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come forward. We'll be wrapping up in a little bit here. These guys are up here to pray for you. Maybe you're, you're having a tough time with this. Man, it's hard to shift your attitude. Like I say, it's a, the familiar road. This is a familiar way to go. Maybe you need to work on this and learn to be grateful for what you have. Come on forward. These guys will pray with you and talk with you. Maybe you don't even know what it's like to have a relationship with God, and you're going, well, I don't even know what that means. I'm not sure that I have that. These guys will talk with you and pray with you and work you through that. That's what they're here for. Do you know these guys are praying for you during the service too? Man, that's cool. We've got a dedicated prayer team uh, that goes and prays for us. So that's great. So there's three things I'd really like you to take home today. And if these stick in your head and you take them home, I'll be happy. Being thankful is a spiritual discipline that we need to learn and work on. Take some effort. Number two, the more we practice, the more natural it becomes. The familiar road. Just keep working on it. It becomes natural. And number three, God blesses and increases obedience. And by being thankful, we're obeying his commands and his principles. Hang on to that. It's a process, something we've got to work on. If you can grab onto that and start doing that, it will change your life. That's the miracle power of giving thanks. So let's pray as we close here today. <clears throat> Thank you, God. Lord, we truly do want to come with you with a grateful heart. 
Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we focus on the wrong things. Forgive us for being negative or critical or or just focusing on our lack, Lord, and not being thankful for all that you've blessed us with, God. We thank you for the relationships we have, the family we have, the friends, this church body, Lord God. Uh, Just help us to lean on each other and bless each other, Lord God. As we go from this place today, I just pray for safe travel for everyone as they go home and throughout this week. I just pray that you'd continue to protect us and bless us and, and help us to develop this attitude, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.